It's so easy to experience hurt and then spend your entire life, your entire ministry, trying to undo that hurt. Here's the reality. You're not going to undo that hurt. Recognize that the sovereign God of the universe is in control, and He is shaping you, and He is shaping me. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. Full-time ministry is unique. It's a special calling from God, and the requirements are in many ways different from a regular job in the secular world. But at the same time, a job in full-time ministry does have something in common with the rest of the world. People. People are people, and nobody is perfect. On this Level Paths podcast, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamblin explore when ministry hurts. What do you do when you feel like giving up? Here's Rex. It's great to be back on the Level Paths podcast, where we're looking for the glory of God in clear view in these hills and valleys of the North Central Appalachian region. My name is Rex Howe, and I'm here with my buddy, Matt Shamblin. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, Rex. It's good to be with you again. It's good that we could get another podcast together, hopefully that'll help people as they serve the Lord in Appalachia. Today, we're going to talk about moving past hurt in ministry. Uh, we're going to talk about leading change in upcoming podcasts, encouragement and pastoral ministry. What does evangelism look like in a rural context? Pastors' wives in Appalachia. And then a while back, I think it was in season one, Matt, we did uh, the state of the church in Appalachia. And I think we're going to revisit that topic. We're in a unique time because we're not post-COVID. I'm not sure that there's ever going to be a post-COVID, but we're now moving forward in the midst of COVID or whatever that would be. And so we want to talk with pastors and church leaders about what that looks like. I know that many are struggling to find what we're going to call a new normal. And so we want to talk with those guys, really, that gives us an idea of what others are doing and also helps us move forward in ministry. You know, our last conference was uh, fulfilling your ministry in a post-COVID Appalachia. Isn't that a joke now? <laughs> we're oh, not, my goodness. And uh, we're looking... <laughs> Ahead to our next one, April 25th of 2023, and we just had a, a long meeting about breakout sessions. We've got actually too many ideas. we got to narrow those down. Some exciting options for our keynote speaker. How do we continue to just drill down on understanding this Appalachian ministry context? We're going to re- work really hard. We had 154 people last year, Matt. We're looking for that or more this year. We're excited. We're going to talk about some painful things today, but there are some exciting things that we're celebrating about ministry in Appalachia. We're starting a new semester here at Tri-State. We've got a lot of new faces around campus, so we're excited about the start of the semester here. But brother, uh, why don't you start us off? You've got a, a testimony and a story about pastoral hurt in ministry. Why don't you share that with us? So my ministry experience started with really two occasions of hurt. The first occasion was just a very short amount of time. I moved from my dorm in Lynchburg, Virginia, straight south into a tobacco field and lived in a parsonage by myself around really no one. And I came on staff, became a youth pastor and noticed right away that the very first check that I received in payment wasn't what we'd agreed on. Mm -hmm. And being a young pastor, I thought, of course, God's going to provide for this. And 
there has to be some mistake. And then upon talking with the deacons, I came there under false pretenses and it wasn't false pretenses from the deacons. It wasn't false pretenses on my behalf. It was false pretenses on some other leadership. And so that didn't last long. I moved home almost in a way of defeat and then came on staff at another church. And it was in this church that I found a pastor who, I don't know how to say this other than uh, did me much harm. He was a pastor who had not been used to dealing with staff. And as a result of that, was at times combative. Mm. And after serving there for years, the Lord not releasing me, I came to a, uh, a crossroads in ministry. I was at my girlfriend's house at the time. I wasn't married. Searched out a name, a name that I'd known from my time at Liberty University. And I'm sending him a message. He was working for the West Virginia Convention of Southern Baptists. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, let's meet. And the first thing that he said when we met was, hey, are you preaching like you used to? Mm -hmm. By this point, opportunities to preach would come and go and I would pass them by because I was so down and so discouraged and ready to quit. And that was really what I was trying to discern. Did I misunderstand God's call for me in ministry? Was this me? Was I the one who wanted to be in ministry and it wasn't God's call? And so he said, won't you give me your resume? I want to send your resume to two places. And the two places that he sent him couldn't have been more different. One was a place where I could have been a senior pastor. My, at this time, girlfriend and I go to the, the interview and literally the deacons got in a fight during the interview. <laughs> but I wanted to be a senior pastor. I really did because All of the things that I had experienced at that church, I wanted to do the opposite of. Mm. And a friend of mine who meant well was a faithful brother said to me, he said, Matt, the last thing you need right now is to be a senior pastor. He said, you would be a disaster. Well, the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And he wounded me, but he did that because he loved me. The Mm. other place that they sent my resume was a staff position and it changed my life. I remember by this time, my my girlfriend and I were married and we went to this interview and it was, it was scary because everything that I knew in the church that I was currently serving was very different from the church where I was doing the interview, where I was serving was a very unhealthy situation where I did the interview was an incredibly healthy situation Mm. and that health scared me. It scared me to, to look into the eyes of a man who would later become my pastor and see that this is a man who not only was faithful to the scriptures, but was crucifying the flesh and wanted the best for me and my wife. It's crazy to think of how I knew God's call for me in ministry. This is crazy. So the night before I was supposed to get up to preach in view of a call, this particular pastor had twins, a boy and a girl. Had three children, two boys and a girl, and as a set, one of the three was a set of twins. And I remember we were walking out of the parking lot, and I looked back and saw the teenage boy dancing across the parking lot. And his pastor father just laughed. As crazy as it may be, in the unhealthy situation, he would have been chastised for being a teenage boy. Mm. In the healthy situation, The father just enjoyed that he had a son, a teenage boy. 
And I knew that that was a safe place that changed my life. I've told this pastor friend of mine that many times. And I went to that church. Remember, the choice was to walk away from ministry. And I went to that church and God used that pastor and that healthy church to heal me. And the things that I learned in that church not only changed my life, but also changed the direction of not just that church, but other churches where I've pastored because he modeled for me what a faithful pastor was to be. He modeled for me how a faithful pastor was to lead his family and to lead that church. And that church showed me what a loving environment was to look like. It changed everything for me. I look back and I remember the hurt and the pain. I remember when we left, when I announced my resignation from the church and going to the healthy church, my wife and I, who had been married for just a few months, maybe not even a few months, that pastor, her last experience that we had, I say her, she and I were together. Our last experience was that pastor screaming at us at the top of his lungs from across the parking lot. That was our last, uh, the last situation. So why do I tell you this? I tell you all that story because I know that there are many pastors out there who are hurting and many who are ready to walk away, many who are ready to give up on God's call in their life. They've experienced so much hurt and so much pain. Rex, you know, when we look to scripture, we see incidents like this, and really we can hear from the apostle Paul a pattern. Maybe a pattern we've never looked at, but a pattern that will be helpful for us to heal and move past hurt in ministry. You know, Matt, it's important what you just said. You, you've told your testimony and talked about your experience of hurt in ministry. And then you transitioned and you said, we also find this pattern in scripture. What you're doing there, and it's important for us in conversation is is the scripture affirm this? And, and part of our goals as the Appalachian ministry is to, is to affirm people in ministry. So the major way that we do that is, does God's word affirm that these things happen in ministry? And when we come to 2 Timothy 4, 9 and following, you know what we find? The apostle Paul hurt in ministry. That's exactly right. I mean, here's the apostle Paul at the end of his ministry. This is the last letter that he writes and What's the last thing, honestly, that he speaks about? The hurt that he experienced in ministry, but not just the hurt that he experienced in ministry, but the consolation that he found with the Lord. Listen to these words. Here's 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians have gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Now, think of this, Rex. He's just listed off a whole list of people who have abandoned him. We know that the Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison. It would not be long before his head is removed from his body, and the body of the Apostle Paul is flushed down a Roman sewer. Hmm. We can just say this. In some ways, Paul's licking his wounds. He's experiencing, maybe we could say the Apostle Paul in some ways is experiencing some depression. But he doesn't stop there. He says, only Luke is with me. Mark was the one who walked away from ministry for a short time. That Paul identifies in Acts chapter 15 is this is the one who abandoned him. It's over Mark that there's a division that comes between Paul and Barnabas. We could say between Paul and his mentor in ministry. It's Mark. That's right. 
the one who encouraged him the most and, yeah. and stood by his side the most there was a conflict that caused those two to go two different ways and let me let me throw this in here because what we're doing is okay we've had these experiences we go to the new testament can we find confirmation that these things do happen to the lord's servants but you know what paul probably did the same thing he went into the old testament and i'm sure that in the psalms and in the prophets you know what he saw people hurt in ministry as they serve the lord faithfully that's right but here it is at the end of his ministry now we know that barnabas had a fruitful ministry we know that mark had a fruitful ministry we know that paul had a fruitful ministry they may not have all been going in the same direction and here at the end we see reconciliation pick up mark bring him with you for he is useful for me in service here is something that we must recognize that just as god is shaping me he's also shaping you that just as god is sovereign over my life he's sovereign over the life of the one who has done you hurt who may have abandoned you it's so easy to experience hurt and then spend your entire life your entire ministry trying to undo that hurt here's the reality you're not going to undo that hurt and so recognize that the sovereign god of the universe is in control and he is shaping you and he is shaping me we know that here's barnabas who is mr encouragement he refuses to just forget about mark we can be sure that Barnabas has spent much time with Mark, ministering to Mark just as he administered to Paul. And so we can expect for sure there is growth going on in Mark. And you know what? There is growth going on in Paul. When I look back at my ministry hurt, the experience that I faced, I know today I am not the same pastor that I was then. I was a young pastor believing that the world was out there for me to change and know that this was an experienced pastor, and I absolutely disagree with his approach. But what I know is this, as a young pastor, my responsibility is not to correct this brother. My responsibility is to seek the Lord and be sensitive to what the Lord is doing in my own life and recognize that the same sovereign God who's shaping me is also going to shape him. In the end, we can see reconciliation. We see this reconciliation with Mark and the apostle Paul but we also see a situation where there wasn't reconciliation. If we just come down a couple of verses, we hear these words. The Apostle Paul continues, 2 Timothy 4, verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did be much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Hmm. There's going to be some in ministry that you're not going to be able to reconcile with. There's going to be some that you're going to trust to the Lord and the trust that you're going to have to the Lord is that just as he disciplines you, he's also going to discipline others. And when we're facing false teaching, of course, that false teaching doesn't need to go unaddressed. But recognize when you're facing difficulty in ministry, when you're facing hurt in ministry, you still serve a sovereign God and that the hurt that has come, he is able to use to shape you to be more like Christ, to shape the one who is hurt to be more like Christ. 
and has not gone unnoticed by our Lord. Hmm. I took just a minute to look up that word, what he demonstrated, that word, the direction of conduct that affects or the display of conduct that affects another in some way. And then context tells you, is it good or bad? And here it's obviously bad. What's interesting about that word, Matt, is it's a word that means he didn't even display the common cultural reciprocal courtesy. It's an activity that reveals the basis of sinfulness toward another who has showed you a kindness. So there's something very deep here with Alexander's behavior. We find that Paul trusts the Lord with him. Mm. Paul's not afraid to bring his name up and say, hey, you need to be aware of him. But Paul trusts the Lord with him. Paul trusted the Lord with Mark. And remember, it was Paul who said, Mark doesn't need to be in the ministry. And so what we can know for sure is that Mark didn't need to be in the ministry with the Apostle Paul at that time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You love it at the end of Colossians where, uh, where he says, you know, I've written you about this guy. You know what to do. <laughs> That's right. When we look at Paul, when we look at Barnabas, we very much see two guys who are different. But God uses Barnabas to mentor Paul. No yeah. question. And, you know, I, I love Swindoll points out often it's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And then later it's Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. God is working and shaping each and every one of us. We're all still a work in progress. There's no question. In ministry, there's going to be times that you're going to deal with people who are fleshly and carnal. There's no question. But God's not done with them. They may be proven to be flesh and carnal because, let's be honest, they may be lost. I think that we can say that. We can conclude that with Alexander the coppersmith. He was opposing faithful teaching. Mm. So we can find that in Third John uh, with Diotrephes. This is a person who's a leader of the church. And John very clearly shows us that Diotrephes is lost. But Paul doesn't stop there. In the end of his ministry, he's, he not only recognizes the sovereignty of God at work in his own life, at work in the life of Barnabas, Mark, Alexander the coppersmith, mm. but in verse 16, he continues. Listen to what he says. At my first defense, no one supported me. Now, it sounds like Paul's a little bitter that he's been abandoned, but I want you to hear what he says. But all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. This is a much more gracious Paul than we find in Acts chapter 15. Amen. We can know he's growing. We can know that he's more like the Lord now than he was then. And then he says in verse 17, he continues, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that through me, the proclamation may be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. I was rescued out of the mouth of the lion. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul looks to the Lord, and in the earthly sense, it seemed as though he was alone. But through it all, Paul was brought into a deeper relationship with the Lord, and he found his consolation not in the affirmation of others, but he found his consolation in the Lord himself. Yeah, such a fixed gaze on the hope of Israel, the resurrection from the dead. I mean, he grows in it and he grows in it and he grows. He knows why he's on trial. 
And here we find him at peace, really, not being bitter, understanding the seriousness of those who reject the gospel, but not bitter at peace. So, brother, you mentioned that you've become acquainted with a book. Tell us about that book. It's called Exquisite Agony. Yes, by Gene Edwards. So if you're in ministry for very long, you're not going to just have one story of ministry hurt. You're going to have multiple stories of ministry hurt. And that's unfortunate, but it's a reality. And so I had experienced another time of hurt. My brother-in-law, who's also a pastor, he saw the hurt that I had experienced. And he said, you need this book. And it's a little book. It's an unassuming book. And I have to be honest with you, it's a weird book. It's the way that it's written is strange. When you read this, the approach is almost like a C.S. Lewis type. You know, you think you're listening to Wormwood speak here. But it's a book that speaks about what we found, the sovereignty of God, the consolation of the Lord. It really helped me work through some issues in ministry. They say that in ministry, you've got to have a thick hide. It's interesting. You have to have a thick hide, but you also have to be sensitive. I'm not sure how those two work together. Pastor Larry Lavender used to say you have to have the hide of a rhinoceros, a hide of a rhinoceros and uh, the heart of a lamb. There you go. (laughs) Isn't it encouraging to see the Lord working that in Paul? In the beginning, we find, get rid of that guy. He's not useful in ministry. In the end, we hear, bring me Mark. He's useful to me in ministry. And we find that he was deserted, but in being deserted, he wasn't bitter. As he was deserted, he found the consolation of the Lord. Rex, ministry at times can be very thankless. And there's a lot of temptation to advertise your ministry, if you will, on social media in order to get affirmation. Mm. We have to deal with that honestly. We have to deal with honesty and saying, do I want my affirmation from my brothers in ministry. I often tell those uh, in my homiletics class, preach to the congregation that's before you and not to the homiletics professor that you had years ago. You may try to hit all the marks as you're preaching, and you may do that at the expense of those that you're trying to minister to who are sitting right there in front of you. So you have to be sensitive enough to know who you're trying to minister to. But you also have to recognize that God has sent you to a congregation. They're not who they need to be. You're not who you need to be. And God has called you there to be shaped by him in order to lead them to where they need to be. Hmm. And often change doesn't come easily. Most churches want to see change and they want to see growth, but they want everything to stay the same. Um, Or they want everything to be the way they were in the past. And so leading them forward may come with a whole lot of barbs. Yeah, I've been telling you about this book, Canoeing the Mountains, that I've been reading and listening to. And he has this image about staying calm in adaptive leadership, leadership through change. And he gives the image of a cook, a good cook, who knows how to use heat. If you use heat properly, you will transform something into food. If you use too much heat, you will burn the living daylights out of it, right? And you'll have charcoal. If you don't use enough heat, it'll never be transformed. How do we stay calm and give just enough heat, not too much heat, not too little heat in the midst of hurt and conflict 
What a great image, like a good cook who's patient and just applying that right amount of heat. First off, recognize there's going to be times you blow it. It's going to take time to learn. When my mom and dad first got a divorce, my dad was learning to cook. I remember at eight years old, my dad decided he, when I was eight years old, my dad decided he wanted to make fudge. My dad's quite a gifted fudge maker today. But at first, I remember he made this chocolate fudge that it tasted like chocolate. It was sweet and you could not eat it. You could lay a foundation for a home with it, but you couldn't eat it. And it took him time to learn how to do that. And I'm not sure. Maybe he overcooked it. I, I don't know how, to, how that happened. Yeah, fudge is tricky, I hear. So this is a perfect segue to what I want to ask you next. Because in Appalachia, we get heated, brother. That's right. And so just it's part of part of our culture. I mean, you know, I don't know about your family growing up, but my family, we can get pretty heated. So let me package this question. We've talked about hurt in ministry. You've highlighted just briefly the different experience you had in an unhealthy church and a healthy church. When we go to scripture, we find church like the Thessalonians who, you know, when you read in Acts 17, you're like, boy, I don't know how this is going to go. And then you read the letters and like, hey, they're doing all right. And then you look at Revelation and you're like, boy, these churches, I don't know that they're going to make it. I mean, Jesus is going to shut those places down. You read in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, you've been called to uproot twice as much as you've been called to plant. And so here's my question. What are the particular things in ministry in Appalachia that should be in our view as we talk about this? So I think about hurts in Appalachia. People in Appalachia will come across prideful because they're insecure, Mm. because they've spent an entire lifetime hearing that they're less than. They need to prove themselves. That's a difficult position to be in. Insecurity can result in pretty radical behavior. They're insecure about the way that they're viewed. They're insecure about the way that they speak. They're insecure about the way that they think. I'm not saying that those are justified. I'm just saying that they're real. And so you want to prove yourself. I remember in college asking a question in a class on the Gospel of John, and everyone looked at me like I was an idiot. I felt as though I had to prove myself. That left an impression on me. What may appear to be pride is actually insecurity, and that pride is a compensation for that. When you go to a church, they're going to be reluctant to change, not just because they've done it that way forever, but because change sometimes can be an an admission that it's not been good enough. Mm. And there's an admission often that that can come generationally. But we know that change does not mean that it's not good enough. Change means growth. Now, change does not always mean grow, but what we recognize is when we grow, we change. We're not the same people that we used to be because if I'm becoming more like Christ, I'm becoming less like myself. And when I'm less like Matt in the flesh and more like Jesus led by the Spirit, then I'm not going to be the same. That's what happens. Growth equals change. That's the grace of God at work. We should celebrate that. We see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. He's celebrating the grace of God at work that he could come to the point and say, though everyone's abandoned me, it's the Lord who stood with me and strengthened me that the gospel may be preached fully through me. The flesh wants to lash out because the flesh doesn't want to change. We want to be self-centered. We want this to be about us. We want to have our way. But remember, 
I'm supposed to die to self. I'm to crucify the flesh. And as I do, evidence of the work of the spirit in my life is going to be self-control. Across Appalachia, I would say that one of the evidences, the fruit of the spirit, the evidence that the spirit is at work in you is self-control. And so though you may lash out, maybe that's who we are culturally. That's not who the spirit of God is through you. That's right. The spirit of God should bring some resources to fill that insecurity, to replace the pride and to instruct us in spirit-led change. What would you say is your greatest joy in ministering in Appalachia? My greatest joy in ministering in Appalachia is seeing people come to faith in Christ who had heard enough of the gospel to be inoculated to it. And then when they genuinely trusted in Christ, repented of their sins and trusted in Christ and see the work of the spirit of God in their life as he is making them more like Christ. That's the joy that I have in ministry because you can't create that. I can't change a person. I can't change a person when they've made ministry difficult on me. I can't change a person who's made ministry easy on me because remember the Holy Spirit through the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ raises a person from death to life. No amount of my guilt, no amount of my enticement can do that. And people are not shoved to growth only by the Holy Spirit. We could say that he can shove them to growth. He can bring the growth. The leadership comes at the will of another person. And so in order for me to lead them, then I have to entice them to come forward. And as a pastor, this enticement cannot come through bribery. As a pastor, this enticement has to come through the presentation of what the scriptures say, and then get out of the way and see the Holy Spirit work. I've experienced this multiple times in ministry. There's some recent occasions where it was so evident that it was the work of the Holy Spirit that when I hear Jesus say, my yoke is easy and burden is light, this made ministry so easy because it was clearly the work of the Holy Spirit. I wasn't trying to convince them of anything. The Holy Spirit had already done that. Brother, we've just barely scratched the surface of ministry hurt. I mean, we could spend another long bit talking about hurts that don't even necessarily come from others, but hurts and wounds we inflict on ourselves in ministry or uh, when we suffer loss or periods of just despair and aloneness. And sometimes that's because of others, and but sometimes it's us. And, you know, as we continue our Level Pass podcast, we're praying that the Lord in us and through us would level those mountains, would raise up those valleys, would smooth out those rough spots in the road, that we would get a glimpse of his glory in such a way that would carry us to this end that Paul found. Amen. Amen. I have to just repeat those simple two points again. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over you. He's sovereign over me. If I know the Lord and you know the Lord, then he is at work in you. He's at work in me. He's growing us to be like Christ. That's going to bring us to glory. We must find our sufficiency. We have to fight for this. We have to find our sufficiency in the Lord alone, not in the likes on social media, not in the attaboys from our congregation. Find it in the Lord. We find this pattern with the Apostle Paul. 
it's imperative that we fight for this. And I say fight for that because, Rex, there's going to be days that I do really well at this, and then there's going to be days that I don't. And that's why we need faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, just like my brother-in-law who came along and gave me this book, Exquisite Agony, because he knew that I was struggling. He'd talked to me about it before. We have a great relationship. He's not only my brother-in-law, he's much like my little brother, you know, I mean, in so many ways. And he's such a great pastor. I'm so proud of him. And he knew that God had used that in his life and and I needed it at that time. Some days we just nail this and other days we just completely blow it. And we need faithful brothers to come alongside of us and say, hey, you're blowing it at this time. Let me pick you up. Our human nature has us wired in such a way that we look now and then to see if anyone appreciates our work and service. Adulation is a good thing, and we want to know if our ministry efforts are working, but we have to fight that urge to continually seek human approval. People may not notice the good work we're doing, but God does. Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute exist as a resource, and no matter what need you may have, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamlin want you to reach out to them today. Rex Howe is the president of Tri-State Bible College. You can contact him by email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. And you can reach out to Dr. Matt Shamlin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by email matt.shamlin at tsbc.edu. On the next episode of the Level Paths podcast. You may have the right shingle hanging on the door. You may have all the things hanging along the walls, but if you don't have the innate desire to continue to grow and learn and believe that you've already got it all, you're going to be dead in the water before you ever get started. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute. 